Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. This is a special EUVC episode straight from the Engage Investments Conference in Prague, hosted by our friends from Depot Ventures. Shout out to Peter, who was kind enough to invite us. This is the recording of the panel, Perspective of LPs and VCs on the Current Market Situation. This panel had the participation of our hosts, Andreas and David, Andre, general partner at Credo Ventures, Vuk, venture capitalist at RSJ Investments, Michael, managing partner at Depot Ventures, and Michael, principal at Venture Friends. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Perspectives of LPs and VCs on the current market situation. Um, I think we've been to a bit, all of us almost probably been to quite a bit of events over the, 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 the last four or six months where we've every single time been talking about the same thing, meaning the current market and what's going on. So for that reason, I'll try and maybe not focus too much on what is going on, but rather dive directly into what is going to happen. Um, because I feel like we've been, and obviously you guys are going to provide a bit of context and tell us what you, are, you know, that's needed probably, <laughs> but I don't want us to be going through 30 minutes of, uh, of, of what, what is just going on, right? So let's rather dive right into it and I'll ask you, Andre, to be the first. and. Just tell us a bit about how you have adapted your thinking inside Credo to the current market situation. And in that, of course, bring the context and tell us, we saw this, now we're doing this. But that's difficult. I, you know, ah, fuck, sorry, can I that, talk I, about I'll diversity? Instead. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> diversity is great. Yeah, um, yeah as you see, <laughs> our jokes, panel is uh, very well represented. Jokes <laughs> aside, good afternoon, everybody. Um, I, think, uh, I think the fair answer is um, I'm just try, I try to to adapt every day. Every day is a bit different. Have we adapted? Um, you know, we're trying to be adaptive because it's not that the market's changed. The market has been changing and it yeah. still is. So I guess you know, the question is whether we've managed to adopt to the ever-changing, rapidly changing market. And, and the, answer, the fair answer is, you know, no. <laughs> we're, we're still trying. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, so you, you mentioned earlier that just today we announced our fund four uh, of 75 million euros. No, 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 I'm not saying that. But I, um, so we actually went from, our fund three was almost 100 million, 97, we went down to 75. And many people in the last couple of days have been asking me if that was the reaction to the changed market, the changed situation. And the fair answer there is no. That's how we wanted it already when we designed our fund back at the end of 2021. But am I happy that we went a little smaller? Yes, I am. In this uh, ever-changing market situation, I am super happy that we kept it small um, because it's more adaptive. It, it allows us to be um, you know, more scrappy and... Uh, yeah, but I, I do think, you know, I, I would love to dive into it a bit and, and we'll come to you guys, but sorry, I just think that it's so interesting 
to see you going to 100 and then going back down in it, as you said just before we went, we wanted to go to 60, but then there was a bit, you know, we ended up in 75. You know, we, in our podcast, we've spoken to many over the last, you know, <laughs> year where, where, you know, all of them were raising bigger and bigger funds and, and were deploying more and more. How did you keep your head in the, you know, in the boom? And then after it's also in the bust. It's a, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think about a way how to put it, not looking like a douchebag, right? But, uh, but I, I, I guess the fair answer is we just really, you know, we felt the temptation of going larger and larger. Um, and we managed to resist this temptation because what we really want to do is we want to do pre-seed and seed rounds. We don't want to go upstream doing more Series A analyzing more numbers, because we're not number crunchers at Credo, right? So, so that's one. Um, then there was this temptation of going broader, like, you know, going to the Baltics or Turkey or Western Europe or global. Yeah. And, and we didn't want to do it either. Like, we, we love our region. We spent over a decade building, you know, connections and networks in the region, looking for talent. We feel like we have really good access here. So we wanted to double down on, on this region, and we felt like, you know, 60 to 75 was the right size. And actually, if you want to hear it between you and me, <laughs> um, we kind of felt the 100 was a bit too much. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we might have made a mistake with the 100, <laughs> like too big. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. It was good. Book? I think, I, if I'm not wrong, I think you were also in the press release. Actually, our state was in the press release on uh, Credo. Yeah, so we, have the deal. we always include them in the <laughs> paid part. It's a paid partnership. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah. <laughs> no, but so so you've been you've also been going through the same thing as all of us. Um, I'd love to hear. You know, the, let's take let's take Credo's you know development. You know, going to 100 and then down to 60. How mm -hmm. were you thinking about that? How did you react when Credo came back and said, "Ah, we're actually going to go to uh, 60 this time"? Like what? <laughs> yeah. So um, it was the only fund that we saw out there who who did that. Yeah. You know, a year ago. Now we saw a couple of, couple of more as we went into into 2022. But from our perspective, it really made sense. Not in uh, from perspective of of the fund size. To be correct, but rather than you know when they came to us and said like we are we are really going to focus on what we you know know how to do what what we really like and uh, that's what we appreciated and you know as, as mentioned not there are not a lot of teams that did that especially at that time of the of the of the cycle yeah yeah let's stick with the with the fund size topic for a bit and I'll I'll now shift to you Mikhail how have you thought inside of Depot about mm -hmm. fund size, because you're now putting together your fund three. Has it been you know, a subject for you? How big should we go? Or, or has it just been clear all the way that we're sticking to this? And I think for anyone, you know, typically in VC, we say that your, your fund size is your strategy. So that's why it's really worthwhile to be thinking very much about this part, right? So tell us how you've been thinking through it. You know, um, I think our position is a bit different yeah, because we are going bottom up. Yeah, so w w we are going from the angels uh, uh, who are g g giving startups like 10, 20K uh, and co-investing with others yeah, to the level where we are able to invest uh, as a fund itself. Yeah. So now uh, we were able to invest 100K in a startups, in a pretty startups. And our goal, uh, because we see the the uh, the 
market trends and uh, uh, very good deal flow and everything. Yeah? And uh, we see that founders want or we want to have more strategic role in our portfolio companies. And not only that, we want to provide them uh, with the follow-ons. Uh, we weren't able to do it yeah. now. Yeah, so you've so, been catching up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honest. So our roles are a bit different. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think w yeah. we can meet Kratos somewhere yeah. in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, <laughs> tell me, Adventure Friends, you are a global investor. That means that you have seen the market go, you know, very quick in Silicon Valley a bit. Then we're seeing the, the same stuff happen in Europe, three months, four months uh, uh, delay. How have you gone through this period and then now to where you are now? Yes, yeah, so for us, being more than European investors, because we also invest in Middle East and Latin America, it's a bit different consideration in terms of fund size. Uh, so we can stick to our 100 million fund without sacrificing on quality because we just have the bigger scope of... Uh, of where we are exposed, but in terms of characteristics and the ways that the markets have behaved in LATAM, Middle East and Eastern Europe or Southern Europe, I think it's not that different in a way. I think it's mostly consideration of developed versus emerging uh, VC markets. So I think many of the things that we see also in MENA or uh, in Southern Europe, for example, it's similar characteristics. So it's kind of lagging effect compared to US and Western Europe. Uh, and I think the magnitude of, of impact is slightly lower, to be honest, because uh, there is much more activity in the earlier stages, so where the impact is much less pronounced, uh, as opposed to later stage PIPO, um, where the impact is much heavier. So uh, I would argue it's similar, roughly. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Okay, so now I have a question, which is also, it's actually very much in the, in the fund size realm. Because I'm also going to ask you about deployment rates, and I'm going to start with our two LPs on the on on the panel here, and ask you, you know, you're seeing funds, both, you know, increasing fund size, then you're seeing, you know, some, you know, also increasing. If they don't increase fund size, then they just increase deployment rate, meaning that, you know, they might still have a 50 million euro fund, but they just kick it out over two years instead of three. Um, <coughs> what did you see? What type of behavior on the deployment rate did you see? And thinking retroactively, and I also ask the rest of you to think and talk honestly to me here, how do you act during the period? Did you, did you spend, did you send out a bit more money a bit more quickly than you, uh, than you used to and maybe would say, I'm happy that I have? I spoke very honestly with some LPs, but did, did you really ask or talk to your, to your VCs about your deployment rate? Are you maybe a bit, you know, being overactive in this market. <laughs> and, and some of them said very bluntly, I, I don't actually think that I spoke enough to my VCs about that. I wasn't, I wasn't critical enough of the times we were in. But I'd love to hear what you think, Book. Yeah, sure. So, um, so for us, the situation is slightly different in the sense that we do not do that many uh, like fund investments uh, in, in one of our vintages. So we are not the type of investor who would do like 20 to really a fund investment in, in one of our portfolio. So we had kind of constrained view on, on, on our, our VC funds that we have partnered with. So um, in a sense, yes, we saw that deployment rate was, was high, not in each and every VC. And, and that is also a part that we you know, challenged people uh, when they came back to us early, uh, hmm. early this year. Uh, to, to raise the next vintage. Um, 
And it really depends on you know the strategy of VC, what what he's looking, you know, whether he invests in very hype deals or not, uh, whether whether they invest into slightly overlooked markets, etc. In first case, of course, I mean we sell funds which were deployed in like 18 months, so some some earlier. That kind of behavior, you know, is is considered risky. Whether we were challenging them enough, <laughs> I, I would agree with what what you have mentioned. I mean, it, it's it's connected to. Um, to a thing that was just uh, going on in, in the VC space and in, in the tech ecosystem at all. Just we, I, my, for example, I personally thought that, yeah, this is it. I mean, we are going for, uh, for, this, for, for this, this will last forever and technology <laughs> is, is, is there and just we, we yeah. are going to do that. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I'm I also, as, as an LPM, I'm more conservative in, in a sense. So there was just, I would say that it was just somewhere, somewhere in the middle. I, I did challenge people, but you know, with the position of five to ten percent in the fund, you not not anchoring the fund. It's also like yeah, you are a limited partner, right? Yeah, so that's what yeah. we spoke about earlier. Limited. There's a reason why it's called limited partner. But still, you're typically also in a in an L pack, or at least you have the ear of the GP, and you know they take you because you've got advice that's hopefully worthwhile. Uh, so even though you don't have a play, have a table to to, to stand in. Um, David, tell me a bit what you've been thinking. We've spoken to many emerging yeah. managers that you know had quick, quite rapid uh, yeah. <laughs> rates in their thinking. Yeah. The honest answer is I have no fucking clue. I really don't know. Um, you know, we, we, we found ourselves, and being really transparent, I found myself earlier this year getting really excited about these super fast deployment rates, and we, we, we talked about that. And now kind of coming back, you know, talking with, with much more experienced LPs about that topic, you know, is vintage diversification that, that relevant or not? You deploying a fund in, in 18 months, like, is that, is that wise, isn't that? So I, I honestly don't know, but I tend to feel, and, and I don't have data points for this, but I tend to feel that when you're doing early stage, like we are and, 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 and most people in this room are, I actually think it's less re relevant, the more I think about it. Because I just think it's about, it's about a bump in the road, right? I think the market over, over time will, will correct itself as well, uh, both positive and negative. And so I think, it's, I think vintage diversification might be overrated, but the honest answer is I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Book has some thoughts here. Uh, <laughs> um, so now I ask the question to the two LP guys about what did you say to your GPs. Now I'll ask you as the VC guys, you know, because there's, I honestly I thought that, you know, hitting March, then you had all the VCs going out there saying, uh, you need to be adjusting burn rate. And then they had a like 14 page document on how to adjust to a crisis and think about profitability and think about <laughs> burn rate and that kind of thing. And they're like, well, that's very far from what you were preaching, just, you know, three LinkedIn posts <laughs> back. So I'm curious to hear, you know, do you think that you were, you know, acting in, you know, I'd say maybe conservative enough in the boom days of before February? Yeah, I think when tide, tide goes away, you can see who's been swimming naked. And yeah. <laughs> you can see very graphically now who has. Yeah. And I think for many companies and many portfolios who are in a, on the more prudent side, they have been disadvantaged for the last few years. So we've had companies which were growing slightly slower than their competitors, but being unit economics positive and growing in a more sustainable way on the product side. And now when the tides has shifted, we see that some competitors go, to, go out of business, some are struggling to raise, whereas uh, the unit economics suddenly start to matter. And I think I'm on the side that actually what has happened to the markets is going to be in a midterm, for sure not in the short term, but in the midterm to long term, it's going to be positive for the overall mindsets and the ways that, uh, that VCs thinks about deployment and also the founders thinks about growth and, and sustainability of, their, uh, of the business models. Yeah. 
who who wants to go here? <laughs> I don't know. I'm 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 thinking. Well, first of all, I, I I just thought of a really great comment on diversity in the naked women, but oh, <laughs> yeah, this is not the diversity panel, so <laughs> let's not go there. Um, I, for some reason, 2021 was not a great year for us in terms of new investments, oh. and. I would love to say that that was a conscious decision on our part and we were being, you know, diligent and smart about it, but that would not be true. For some reason, you know, Q2, Q3, 2021, we just didn't, we just didn't have good pipeline. I, I don't understand. And most of the guys that we spoke with in the US and in, in Western Europe were like, dude, we're, you know, <laughs> those are busy times. We're investing left and right. And we were like, yeah, we are too. But the truth was, our pipeline was not great. And um, the past six months, ever since we had a, a secret first closing of our fund four, um, we've made 10 investments already and we have two more approved, which is 12 for nine months. No, six months, yeah. which is really fast. Yeah. And it's not, a, it's not a function of the market. It's just a function of good pipeline that we, that we happen to, to have the past six months. So... I guess what I'm trying to say is we try to be as detached from the cycle when making new investments. Yeah. Mm. And like at, at the peak times that were great, I still <laughs> remember the glorious 2021, um, we did make some overpriced investment, I'm sure. Yeah. And we, we did invest after, you know, very limited due diligence, which is the euphemism of no due diligence. <laughs> but, and we now have a lot more time to spend on the investment cases. But other than that, I am much more driven by, you know, the cases, the, the, the pipeline, the, you know, the quality of, of potential deals we're looking at than, than the cycle. We try to be detached as much as possible. Yeah. But if I could add one thing, if I might, what I'm very skeptic about is is emerging fund managers whose whole unfair advantage was speed. Yeah. That I'm very skeptical mm. about. If that is the underlying building block of your unfair advantage, as markets shift and go back and forth, speed becomes either, you know, something that you want or something that you, want you don't want, right? Yeah. That is where I'm skeptic and that is where I feel, well, if that's the only thing you bring to the table, you're actually not needed this year, right? Yeah, and I actually think, I, I, I haven't thought about that before, but I guess book that that's also something you've seen with all you know, you like, you like emerging managers yep. and you like small managers. Definitely. And for sure, we saw a lot of pitch decks that said from, yeah, we can act from solo GPs, <laughs> we act quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, um, we saw that, but and in general, we, our numbers in our pipeline were really high. So we saw really lots, lots of funds like during the, the last year, especially in uh, emerging uh, manager like part, part of it. Um, but the teams varied really a lot, whether someone is specialized, has been working on it really, you know, for, for quite some time, quite a few years, wanted to get into a VC and now he had a like, good time to, to, yeah. to finally raise the funds. So, so we saw that, uh, like that example, but we also saw people who just, you know, were riding the wave. I mean, also the second strategy can, can earn them some, a lot of money. <laughs> we will see about it, but uh, definitely we, we preferred the, the, the first one. And yeah. we also created a separate strategy for that. Yeah. yeah, I think also I don't have data set to back it up, but uh, I think there is a tendency of speed being also correlated with being very price insensitive. 
So if you combine the two yeah. and the <laughs> emerging manager, it's a end the cycle, of course, because if, if everything goes up, I mean, there is no check type yeah. of situation, then it's a recipe for disaster from the LP perspective. Not in all cases, but obviously the risk return profile is yeah. not as favorable as, mm. as otherwise. So I think it's not about just the speed, but, but also price flexibility, so to speak. Yeah. No, but Unless the cycle changes, <laughs> like, oh, come on, yeah. you know, in the fall now. You never know. You never, you never know. know. <laughs> no, but, but I, I was just going to say not to be misinterpreted with being highly specialized, thus you can move quick in this sector. That mm -hmm. is different, right? Yeah. I'm just talking about like pure speed being the, the differentiating factor because then it leads to exactly what you said. But if you're the only guy or one of the few guys that, or girls that really understands biotech drug development, well, then, yes, you can be quick, but you know what you're doing, right? So that's, mm -hmm. that's what a of course. little caveat there. I'm thinking about our innocent strategy, and as I like running... <laughs> um, you like speed? <laughs> I no, no, no. Uh, I like to have the same pace. Yeah. And we said uh, in our strategy that we are ready to invest in 15 portfolio companies per year. And we are sticking to this goal across our two funds. So basically... My answer is we are investing in good times, bad times, in a very consistent way. And yeah. Uh. <laughs> okay, so now and we will in the end talk about what's going to happen. Um, but I'd love to now hear, and I'll ask whoever of you to jump in on this one. I told you beforehand, if you, if you want to go first, then tell me, because this one might be difficult. But in the current market, what contrarian thesis do you have that you know and when i say contrarian thesis i mean what do you believe that will be an opportunity that is really ripe now for you to capture that not many around you really you know see because it's obvious to everyone that okay the, the market is cheap right now <laughs> so we're going to see a lot of capital up but i'm curious to hear if you have you know see anything in the current market that is different and for that reason you're ready to bet big on it yeah, once we share it, it's not, not going to be contrarian anymore. <laughs> nah, but th that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing about being contrarian, right? Because you can say it as many times as you want, everyone just shakes their head and says, this guy's, this guy's lunatic, right? <laughs> I think maybe it's not entirely contrarian, but I think there will be much more opportunities at the pre-seed, and I think we should deploy much faster at pre-seed. And referring back to speed, I, I think there will be a lot of operators leaving startups, like senior, very strong talent, etc., uh, because the opportunity cost is much lower because the ESOP in some cases unfortunately yeah. becomes worthless. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure this is a contrarian statement because it's kind of logical, but uh, in a way uh, I think it's a little bit overlooked and I think in that specific case speed can be, be of essence because obviously for, for strong operator talent turned founders there, there will be demand. So uh, yeah, just yeah. one observation. Yeah. Not, not sure if it's contrarian, but I have two. <laughs> I think we invest with a lot, of, a lot of angels, and I think it might be contrarian for some of the angels that we co-invest with, which is it's, it's, there's no way we're going to time the market. So it's about keep on doing what we've been doing. And, and I know that eventually, sooner or later, the investments that we're executing now or in the near future will yield amazing results. Because you know the way the market behaves, it, it is an amazing time to be investing. And it's also for all the emerging managers out there, and we are emerging LPs, you know, it's, it's a great moment to just keep on doing what you're doing and become part of the furniture of venture, right, in Europe. And that is an amazing opportunity. I don't know if it's very contrarian. No, I actually think, so, so that part is, if I should say anything to, to, to the audience here, that are not 
very much knee-deep in VC space every day, there it's very contrarian, right? Because yep. you're hearing many funds that are struggling to raise because the contrarian view in the LP world right now is, yeah. I actually dare invest into VC. And, and <laughs> because the many, many families back. are pulling back. Exactly. Um, yeah. And some angels and as banks, well, and some family and banks, offices yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Then the other one, which, which we have, we have at least one person that I know in here that, that is seizing that opportunity, which I think is super interesting, is the secondary space in Europe. Not only on startups, but also on VC funds themselves. Like yeah. GPs are struggling. GPs yeah. are struggling to, to come up with a commit for, for fund three, four, five, six, whatever. And I think there's a humongous opportunity for any LP out there with, with the maturity to do it. Not us, but someone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I have uh, too many contrarian thoughts right now on this. Um, I might have one. Um, so, so when we started fundraising our fund four, which was end of the happy time, um, end of 21, um, we actually sort of drafted a little bit of a contrarian <laughs> thesis there, which, um, which is very much um, in line with the smaller size of the fund. And that was doing less follow-ons. Yeah. Um, originally, in 2021, the reason actually was that there was so much capital that follow-ons were not necessary, and yeah. sometimes even hard to push through, right? So even though it was contrarian, it made, it made a lot of sense. But in the changed market, I think we might actually stick to it still. Yeah. Um, looking at like... Yeah, and and, uh, if I could just yeah. add to it, because, because that's a very good point, because what we were seeing was that every single company was getting that follow-on funding, and that meant that you weren't really, you want to do, you want to go from pre-seed to seed to series A at a higher and higher valuation because you're taking out risk, but you weren't really, right? Because yeah. you're just getting another round. <laughs> yeah. So, so just to, to put that in there, that's the dynamic that you just spoke about that, well, there was no reason for you to pay a higher price at a later round. And the funny, the funny thing when we were discussing last year about fund four and we were discussing follow-ons, the funny part was we realized that in, VC, there was a general understanding and consensus that follow-ons are good for the economics of the fund. Yeah, I, I always do your math, they, guys. Yeah, I always do that. No, yeah, they're not. And also the concept of de-risking via follow-on rounds. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Not true. <laughs> Actually, increasing <laughs> risk you, in a way. <laughs> so that would be my contrarian thought. Now, it's incredibly funny. It's that not that true. It's also not not true. <laughs> okay, let's dig deeper. <laughs> Please. I'd argue it's not, not, not true. No, in the sense it really depends of the, of, of, of the portfolio strategy you have. It does, so yes. You have, of, you, course. You know, of course. It, it depends how wide you cast the net and, and what is the strategy behind that and, and how early or how late you're getting it. It is also, I mean. you know, it has a certain requirement on the initial ticket if you don't plan for many follow-ons. Yep. And then there's this ever um, overarching question of, so you do not support your portfolio companies? Well, we, we do, but, but you have to think of it that way. Yeah. Instead of, you know, yeah. we're pushing as much money in, you know, if possible. Yeah. It's not the right I, approach. I, I'd actually now talk a bit about that follow-on strategy, right? And, and maybe more because it's one thing having a strategy, which is, you know, oftentimes we think of that as a portfolio model that tells you that how much you <laughs> invest, right? But more, what is the decision process? Because that's the tough thing, right? If you have many funds say, well, we, we make it a consensus, consensus decision on, on following on, and then it's actually the same group that I also invested in the beginning and who are close to the founders and so on. I think what I like the most are the funds where you have a team that does 
the initial tickets, and then you have a, you know, an almost silo team that does the follow-ons, and you know you don't go, you don't get a follow-on unless this person says okay on it, because that person is the expert in Series A and doesn't know the founders, doesn't know shit. You need to convince that person. I'd love to hear your take on on that. But we need a bigger fund for that. So <laughs> like <laughs> we might do an extension there. As I said, uh, we were able to provide our portfolio companies like only the best ones with the follow-ons. Follow but I think uh, we did something which was very similar to your idea because uh, uh, for every company uh, which has some following rounds of investment, we are launching the syndicates, yeah. uh, syndicates of angels. And it's actually a very good thing how to prove the performance and traction of the startup by the market. Mm -hmm. So this is what we do, and uh, some of the follow-ons are very su successful, are some, and uh, uh, some of these now. Yeah. yeah, I think it's very different, <laughs> sorry, uh, depending whether it's a push or pull case, right? Because in, in case that the company is struggling, not to the extent that you don't believe in it, but obviously your ticket can give like very strong token of confidence in the company and improves the outcome because it manages to raise, whereas for the pull case, uh, in the push case, depending on which perspective, but of course, <laughs> if, you, if you want to squeeze as much cash in, uh, not in all cases, it's, it's for the benefit of the, of the company, to be honest, because you kind of limit the scope of new investors coming on board and uh, yeah, smart board members that the company can get. So this can be actually negative outcome. I mean, maybe positive for the, for the VC, but, but we try to limit that to an extent. If there is somebody else joining the round that brings value, then... It's, it's okay to just do prorata and not push for super prorata, even if you are super bullish about the company. Uh, I, I just wanted to say that I thought about your idea of detaching the two yeah, teams, yeah. and I don't like it. <laughs> so I, I, I think what you lose there mainly is the intimate knowledge of the company, the space. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would not want to lose that. that you might gain yeah. some sort of independency and you know get rid yeah, of the it, bias, but... You should, you should aim for that anyway, right? So we as VCs should always, because we do have fiduciary duty, we have other people's money, we always should look for unbiased views. And, you know, I, you know sometimes but, we're succeeding, sometimes we're but failing, then, but I wouldn't want to lose the unfair nah, uh, access to... Obviously, yeah. And, and, and that is actually the next thing I would then ask you about, which is I have always hated the... VC stands where we don't do follow-ons unless there's a price round by a third party. Okay, so Fuck that, that means shit. Yeah, you, that means you just gave away your, <laughs> your your opportunity to get in at a lower price than everyone that else. Makes in. No sense. Yeah, to, I don't I don't like that position, and I don't like we don't do follow-ons full stop. Like, I mean, that's not a partner you want to work with, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, VCs should support their portfolio companies in good times and bad times. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would be my take. Any, any takes? Otherwise, we will go to what is going to come. I actually wanted to, <laughs> I, I would love to hear thoughts about, around bridge rounds as well, especially over the last year or so, because we saw more. How do you guys think about that? Mm -hmm. um, it's not follow-ons, but it's more capital to the same, to the same startups. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> they exist, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah, bridge, bridge rounds do happen, guys. 
That's what we've, that's what we've seen in the market. <laughs> it's a bit of wisdom. <laughs> Things, see, that's why we didn't want to talk about what you're seeing in the market, because then we get stupid shit like that. <laughs> Michael, no, I mean, I guess we all do bridge rounds when yeah. it's necessary. Yeah. Sometimes we... No, nah, but uh, so it's not, I don't think well, it's whether you do it. Most of the times we hate them. Yeah, of course you do. But kind of. But how, what is your process to think about, okay, because that, that's sorry, the big Sorry, kind question, of. Right? That, that, and that is the interesting part of that sentence, right? We hate them, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, but because we should, we only should be doing them if we're still bullish and we believe that the substance is there, that we know something the, you know, dumb guys around us don't. And that's why we do bridge rounds. Bridge rounds to rescue the company which we yeah. lost trust in, we shouldn't be doing. And we Obviously. try not to, we almost never do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll now go to the, uh, the what is going to happen question. Um, and Michael, you're about, so I'll let you, let you start. What do you think, you know, if you should say one thing that's going to happen that you really believe this is where we're seeing the market. And you know, I think after five replies to that, we'll, we'll get to a point where we know everything. <laughs> And since David is my partner, I'll ask him to go second so that he doesn't get the tough one. That will shoot to Andre. It's good that you haven't asked this question like a year ago, right? Because uh, then uh, I would like say we all would be very wrong <laughs> about many things. I think we haven't hit the bottom yet in general, but I think the, the uptick to normal times, and by normal times I don't mean 2021, but previous years, I think it will, won't take longer than maybe two, three years maximum. There is still like fundamentally a need for innovation and there will be pull for that. It's just the models which didn't make sense and a lot of herd mentality that has impacted us in recent years that has led to it. But in fundamentals, I think we will be back soon to healthy ecosystem. So <laughs> I'm, I'm an optimist, I guess. But in two to three years, not in six months and not tomorrow. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so David, I'll ask you so I don't put you on the spot in the end. No. <laughs> No, nah, but I, I think, honestly, I think what we'll see, I agree, uh, but what we'll see is uh, Europe will continue outperforming the US in venture. And I think that is an important message to keep on hitting. Um, and I think a lot of that will also be driven more and more by Eastern and Southern Europe. And I can only hope that investors, angels, smaller family offices, less institutional investors into the asset class see that more and more so that we don't have them flocking to the big US names, but flocking to the now emerging European GPs. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so Andre, I, I won't Should ask I go you with about, uh, no, you're, you're the last one <laughs> to, oh, oh, to spew your uh, whatever <laughs> you've got on your tongue. <laughs> Mikael, go, let's go to you. Uh, you know, I had this question. So uh, 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 I think, uh, I think uh, we have in front of us some crisis. <laughs> it's uh, based on a very basic economic theory. So there is high inflation, we need to pull the money for, uh, from the market back uh, and it's uh, connected with some recession. But the question is how it somehow how does impact the, the venture capital market in the yeah. pre-seed stage. And I think that for us there is no change. Yeah, interesting. Look. Um, <clears throat> So, I'm, as, as probably you, you, you might saw when I was talking, I'm really bullish about emerging, emerging VCs. 
So I really think that this, as, as in, in, in prior years and prior crisis, I mean, this will be actually a good time to, to invest in them because not a lot of people will go out currently in the market or in the next couple of months really to, to fundraise because it was always tough. I can expect that it will be even tougher in the next couple of months. So really people who are specialized investing currently in things that other people are, are afraid of, I think uh, these will outperform in the long term. I'm not sure about the region. I hope that C <laughs> will, will cut. I think that I hope that Balkans will, will also do, do good. But um, I think Europe uh, produces these people, either founders or investors, and, and we will continue to see it. Um, I'm just not sure um, you know, how long it will take yeah. to get there. Andre, lay it on us. <laughs> You've been sitting there with a face that I don't know what says. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> Me neither. It's still a bet what I'm going to say. So, I don't know. Historically, bear markets lasted 289 days on average. Uh, to, to, to 75, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that one. Okay. Uh, your stats are crooked. Fake. <laughs> so, and we've been in the bear market for what, seven, eight months. So, okay, prob probably not in the fall, but I'm a big believer in the cycle will turn in 2023, not two, three years. And what about the is this record? This this being yeah. recorded? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but we only so, we only publish it in a year. So, <laughs> so I I believe that's that's what's going to happen. Um, I think the U.S. will re recover before Europe, and I do see many additional challenges for Europe, including some nasty political um, things yeah. in yeah. certain markets. I am, of course, very, very bullish about Central and Eastern Europe, but I'm afraid that it's going to take a little longer. Um, I'm pretty sure Putin will die, and it's going to be a lonely and ugly death. <laughs> Hopefully painful. Ah, so that's where the faces uh, came from. And yeah, I was imagining, <laughs> I was literally killing. <laughs> and um, and November. Ah, so that's where the faces uh, came from. And yeah, I was imagining, <laughs> I was literally killing. <laughs> and um, and November 11th, I think, is Wakanda Forever premiere. You know, MCU fans. I was like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I loved it. Great. I think that was the Could very positive finish <laughs> this panel discussion. So, Andrea, thank you very much for that, uh, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc.